Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Let's get to it. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, your Cleveland.com coverage team. 31-20, Ohio State beats Michigan. Lots to talk about with the game, with the playoff after Alabama's loss. Here we go. Ryan Sullivan at Sully5351. Does Ohio State, he actually said it like this, they win if JT not hurt. That's like tweet talk. <laughs> Does Ohio State beat Michigan on Saturday? They won 31-20. If JT Barrett hadn't gotten hurt and he had remained the quarterback, they were losing 20-14 to when JT Barrett got hurt, correct? You yes. were about to win, Haskins. You have facts and figures, Landis, right? 20-13. to 20-14. Uh, 20, 20 with about six minutes left in the third quarter. And in 2014, when JT Barrett got hurt against Michigan, it was 28-21 very early in the fourth quarter. Ohio State was ahead in that game. So that's one of the differences between the backups coming in. Bill, would Ohio State have won No, with a healthy JT? No, I don't think so. Really? I don't think JT Barrett was throwing the ball all that poorly in this game. Um, I thought this game was going to require someone throwing a ball into a tight window, throwing someone open, taking a gamble with the football, then I don't know if JT was going to take any gambles in this game. Um, people were tweeting at me. I, I, I tweeted something early in the game, like, nobody's open. And people were tweeting back at me, like, that's not an excuse anymore. You have to throw people open. And I agreed with that to some extent. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't just throw the ball to a guy who's completely covered and not looking at you. I think I disagree with that. But I think there's something... It, to the point of, of making challenging throws. And, and I don't think, you know, we saw JT do it against Penn State. He was doing it to mostly open receivers in that game. And there weren't really open receivers in this game. And the throw that Dwayne Haskins had to make on third and long to Austin Mack, I don't know if JT Barrett, one, attempts that throw, and two, if he does attempt it, can complete it. Um, and that was like a major changing point in the game. They scored and went up 21-20 and led for good there. Um, so I don't have faith as I sit here in the idea of the offense as it was going with JT being good enough to beat this Michigan team today. I actually... Tim's going to have to lean in. Lean in, Tim. I disagree with you, Bill. I think you're wrong, Tim. Well, how how do you know? You don't have a time machine to to read. All right, make your point. But uh, I think JT would have figured it out. You know, he only had 30 yards passing for the game. 25 came on the touchdown to Marcus Ball. There, There just weren't many opportunities for him to throw the football, and I feel like they would have kept the read option going. They were getting gains on the ground. Um, JT had some nice runs. He had a 26-yarder. He also had a he also had a big touchdown. They got Ohio State on the board early in that second quarter after the Josh Metellus drop interception. Um, I think they would have figured it out. They would have tried a couple different things, more meshes, more crosses, crossing routes to try and get guys open, maybe get Paris Campbell in some tunnel screen or whatever that we've seen already this season. I think they would have found a way to get JT's throwing rhythm going. And all he would need to do is complete one or two passes Two, one or two quality passes, I should say, and that Ohio State I think would have been fine. I'm adding. I'm adding as we talk. Here's the point I would make about that, and I think I added correctly. This was another game where lots of people on Twitter were complaining about Ohio State not giving the ball to the tailbacks. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. When you guys count, do you like do it lyrically yeah, in your like, head? Yeah, sing song. Three, yeah. Four, five, six. Okay. When, and this is what I thought in the moment. If you were mad that they weren't giving it to the tailbacks, I think I tweeted, well, if you want the tailbacks to get the ball, as soon as JT Barrett hurts, like, they're getting it now because they're not going to run the zone read like that with Dwayne Haskins. JT Dobbins, 
can't say their names. <laughs> Dobbins and Weber finished with. I have it here. Dobbins had 15 carries for 101 yards. Weber had 12 carries for 57 yards. Okay. So they had 27 carries total? Mm-hmm. All right. They had 10 carries combined when JT Barrett got hurt in the middle of the third quarter. The rest of the game, they combined for 17 carries. It forced them to give the ball to the tailbacks. Now, they didn't do crap with it until they broke off the big runs at the end, until J.K. Dobbins broke, up the big, broke off the big 35-yard run. It was like a put-away run, and then Weber followed up with like the 25-yard touchdown, touchdown to really put it away. But up until that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, J.K. Dobbins, his first seven carries after Barrett got hurt, seven carries, 16 yards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Same for Weber. His first seven carries after JT got hurt, 16 yards. So that's 14 carries from those tailbacks where they were doing nothing. So it was sort of like, I wanted it. I wanted the tailbacks to get it more. We've written about that. We've asked them all year. Why can't you just hand it to the tailback? They were handing it to the tailback, and it wasn't really working. But it made them, it changes the offense a little bit. And Urban Meyer said one of the things when, when Haskins came in was we wanted to protect him a little bit. We didn't want to put him in harm's way right away. So that means hand it to the tailback. And then here's the thing that's crazy about like a, a running quarterback versus a non-running quarterback. Would we, would we describe Dwayne Haskins as a non-running quarterback? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. He's not as fluid a runner as JT. So the result is... When you're not worried about him running, it actually opens more lanes for him to run. Now, we've seen JT Barrett kill teams on draws and scrambles his whole career, but I felt like Haskins' big scramble resulted from the fact that they were playing him differently. Because, like, not that they're spying JT, but you're not really worried about that. Just like when Cardale Jones in the playoff ran over people, it's because you're not worried about that guy doing that. You're always worried about JT Barrett doing that. So if you have a quarterback who can do it a little bit, like Cardale could, like Dwayne Haskins seems like he can, it actually opens up those scrambles a little bit more, I think. And I think generally things that make Ohio State hand it to the tailback also should work. So it made him give it to the tailback. Giving it to the tailback didn't really work. They won anyway because Dwayne Haskins made throws. I think they were moving the ball well enough on that drive that they would have gotten in that end zone one way or the other. Yeah. I think I agree with Tim. I think they would have won without JT. But if we were going to do, and I'm locked in on the 538 playoff calculator right now, if you wanted to, if you would have plugged Ohio State's chances into a calculator in the middle of the third quarter, trailing 2014, here's your chances with JT Barrett. Here's your chances if JT Barrett gets hurt and Dwayne Haskins comes in. I think it's possible that the Dwayne Haskins chance meter might have been a little higher, but I think they still might have gotten it done with JT. Ohio State's third quarter drives, three plays, nine yards, three plays, negative one yards. Then on the drive, the JT got hurt. Barrett rushed for loss of one. Barrett rushed for ten. Dobbins for four. Dobbins for three. And JT got hurt. I disagree that they were moving the ball well enough to win in the third quarter. I kind of zoned out looking at future questions. Point to, just point to with your hand where, where we are. So it was three for nine on the opening drive, three yep. plays, nine yards. Oh, yeah, their first plays, two drives were awful. Three plays, negative one yards. Which and then, opened the door for Michigan to go ahead. And then it was one, two, three, four plays for 17 yards. Four plays for 16 yards before JT got hurt. 
No, it was actually two plays. He got hurt on that play, right? Yeah, he got hurt on the on the second. He got play. hurt on the run. Yeah, the second and eleven. Oh, was right. When, okay, yeah. so it was one run. They started their own twenty-two. He lost the yard. He gained ten, and he was out. Right. That uh, was just my way of disagreeing with you that I thought the offense was in a bad spot to start the second half. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Brian May, the real B May, follows asks the question we're talking about: Did Haskins coming in make Ohio State commit more to non-zone read runs, and how big of a difference was that in the outcome of the game? Do you think it's more? It's it's less the non-zone read runs, and it's more a quarterback who can make some necessary throws that did it. I think the runs they called were the same. I, I, Haskins is, I think, less prone to pulling the ball out than JT is. I thought there were a few inside runs where Haskins could have pulled it and gotten a big gain, and there was one run where he kept it and made the wrong read and got stopped. So I, I think it's maybe a little bit of a misconception that they're calling different run plays. I just think you have a quarterback who's not super comfortable in the read game, so he's going to give it up more than he's going to keep it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there, and I, there were times where I felt like he probably should have keep should have kept it, made made the wrong decision. That's a guy who, you know, is only playing in maybe a sixth college game versus a guy in GT Barrett who's in start number forty two. Chad M at Snello one eighty seven. JT stays in the game and doesn't get injured. Down by a score in the third quarter. Slow game so far. How does the game end? This is what people are wondering. It's. It, I'll be honest. It wasn't immediately what I wondered about in the moment, but I think it's a reasonable question to ask. But listen, and I'm an unbiased reporter. We're all unbiased reporters. Here's... I, I mean, I, I'm trying to describe the word that I would say. It's like, listen, the guy just went 4-0 and against Michigan. He set every record in the book, and we're... And like the post-game discussion is, it's like, oh, it's a good thing he got hurt. Otherwise, they were screwed. Yeah. Like, it feels... Um, I don't know what it feels. I mean, it's reality. We're dealing with reality. And it's, it, you have to, I think it's an absolute worthy discussion topic. But it, it feels a little weird. Like, here's the other thing, too. JT Barrett, like, came out in the fourth quarter against Penn State and ripped them apart. Like, the, I think that's on the table, too, even though mm-hmm. Michigan's defense is really good. Like, up against the wall, well, I guess I have to throw it, J.T. Barrett. We've seen that, J.T. Barrett, and it's pretty effective at times. Sure. So even if they wouldn't, if they would have stalled there and ended up with a field goal, and instead of going ahead 21-20, now it's 20-17, and then it's this, it's close, it's back and forth, and it's like, okay, J.T., no more pump faking. No more double clutching. It's time for Rip It JT. I think Rip It JT might have emerged, but I also think maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Don Brown wasn't going to stop blitzing. Penn State, I thought, in that game, I think was dropping, <coughs> dropping some guys, and JT was kind of like picking apart his own a little bit. Um, this game would have been guys one-on-one and man coverage, receivers who I don't think are good at getting separation, and a defensive front that was going to keep coming after JT and, and an offensive line that I thought was kind of just okay in pass protection. I, I'm Going back to kind of what I said before, I feel like there were points when, even though the passing offense wasn't working, it's about what they were going to be able to do on the ground, that I really don't know how much, if anything, score-wise would have been different, to be honest with you. They may not have gotten the big gains through the air like that big pass that Dwayne Haskins had to Austin Mack even after taking that hard hit. I'm sure that they probably wouldn't even been in third and 13 because that was two false starts in a row that led to third and 13. Is that, is that Dwayne Haskins' fault? It, it's, well, they might have been a little rattled. It might have had to do with, you know, 
changing quarterbacks, <coughs> different cadences. But it was like his fifth fifth play. It wasn't his first play. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell what that situation is like. But when I when I think about it, I'm sure, like Doug said, there may have been they would have only needed rip it JT for about four or five plays maybe at the most, and then they would have finished the game off kind of doing what they're doing, grinding out runs, and I feel like with the zone read, they would have had a better chance for bigger gains. Um, outside receivers, not the H-backs, one catch. The Austin Mack catch was it. Ben Victor had a chance to make a catch from JT Barrett, didn't do it. Terry McLaurin had a chance to make a catch from JT Barrett when they, he broke behind coverage on a scramble. He was wide open. JT underthrew it a little bit. Terry McLaurin came back for it. Leapt, made the catch, then got hit and dropped it. Could have made the catch. I mean, you're not, it's not like a drop because he got he got hit pretty hard. Could have made that catch. Um, nothing from Johnny Dixon today. Like it, it was a fairly non-functional passing game. And then Dwayne. So JT Barrett finished three of eight for thirty yards. Dwayne Haskins was six of seven for ninety-four. Okay. Now we have to ask this question. Okay, I'm going to ask. Let me ask this Bryce Owen question first, and then we'll get to the other question that's hanging over us. Which, again, we're going to ask and talk about a little bit because it's an interesting question to ask. Except the only person whose answer matters is Urban Meyer, and we know what Urban Meyer's answer is going to be. Yeah. So, first from Bryce Owen at B underscore Rice 2017. After JT went out, didn't you feel like we ran the Tom Herman offense of 2014? Rely heavily on the run for first and second down, then rely on the rocket arm QB to convert third down and big throws. Eerily similar to 2014. Does that, if we want to go down that road, like part of the deal is like we don't have to go down that road because JT Barrett said he's going to play next week. Now, he also has a knee injury that he says his knee pops in and out, and it's happened before this year. If it happened against Indiana in the opener, which he said it's the last time it happened, and it happened twice today, one getting bumped on the sideline and then one in the game, clearly it's something that could happen again. So we might not have seen the last of Dwayne Haskins, but did that feel like that to you if somehow Ohio State got into that again? Is that what we would see? Would we see J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber, and Dwayne Haskins recreating Ezekiel Elliott, Cardale Jones from three years ago. Um, I think I've said this before that I don't know if the receiver personnel is right to do to run an offense like that. Um, that that was run it and run it really well, and then big armed quarterback throw it really far down the field. Um, that really wasn't happening today. There was the one downfield throw, and that was it. Um, I guess I see the potential in it. I don't know who the receiver is on the other end of Haskins' throws who makes it function the way it functioned in 2014. I think part of the thing I'm curious about is how much more of, of, of a full field passer you guys think Dwayne Haskins is versus Cardell Jones. And what I mean by that is a guy in Dwayne Haskins who isn't necessarily going to rely on just the deep ball, but a guy who can work the multiple yeah. areas of the field. Because he had two good throws to KJ Hill, who took, took them into big catch and runs to set up field goal opportunities. One they made, one they didn't make. A guy who's more willing to use the full field as opposed to stretching the field with that big arm. Do you feel like that? I wonder if that that's going to be an interesting thought is instead if not always needing to stretch the field vertically, but a guy who can just make those open throws to multiple parts of the field with that big arm as opposed to just going deep all the time. Yeah, I, I, I talked to Dwayne Haskins for a little bit longer after his press conference in the hallway and asked him if he thought comparisons to Cardell Jones were accurate, and he said no, and I think it's for that reason. He says he said people see us both and see the big arm, the, the, the long ball, 
but I think that he views himself as a much more complete passer than Cardell was then, and really as Cardell is now. So let me ask this then. In, in 2014, when Cardell came in and had to finish the Michigan game, and then Ohio State was going to play Wisconsin, the Big Ten Championship, nobody thought Cardell could do it. Like, nobody was saying, like, oh, well, guess what? This might open up the offense. And blah, blah, blah. It was like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. they're screwed. If Ohio State needs Dwayne Haskins between now and whenever their season runs, I don't think anybody would say, well, they're screwed. No. I think people would say, uh. So here's my question. Who's better, 2014 Cardale Jones or 2017 Dwayne Haskins? Ooh. Uh... And I, I think your point about the receivers is very good. Because I just said Elliott and Cardale compared to Dobbins, Weber, and Haskins. But again, who's Michael Thomas and who's Devin Smith? So that is a very good point. But back to the quarterback question. I think there was like kind of a, I don't know what, what the word, there was kind of a... a Magical aura? Wait, what? Well, yeah, that, and there was also <laughs> like, I thought, like, like kind of like a, a beauty to the simplicity of the way Carlo, or Carlos, Cardale Jones played quarterback. He didn't ever appear to me to be thinking very much, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as just he was like he was grip it and rip it for three games, and I don't think Haskins is quite that way. I think Haskins is a little more of a thinker. Um, I don't think at, at times he has not played as loosely as, as Cardell Jones played in that whole stretch run. I don't know what the difference is between the two, um, but all that said, I think that Haskins is better. Yeah, I think Haskins is better because I think it was something like you were mentioning a little bit earlier, Bill. I think he's just more of a complete passer, a guy that can do a little more. The key for him, if he had to play in stretches in the Big Ten Championship game or wherever they go after that, would be just managing turnovers. But not just that, but managing the balance between being aggressive and protecting the football because that's truly what separates guys like who, who can be gunslingers from really good quarterbacks. A lot of guys can throw it, but it's but only certain guys can be really good quarterbacks. And I think for Dwayne Haskins, that's that would be the next level of progression whenever he plays again. At bracket creeping. Is Ohio State better off playing Haskins next week regardless of JT Barrett's health? This is the question I was talking about. JT Barrett said he can play next week. He was walking around. He walked onto the field after the game to shake hands without a limp. He was walking out of the postgame news conference out to see his parents onto the team bus without a limp. He looks completely fine. He said he's fine. He said he's playing. I talked to his dad. His dad like said like a thing a dad says, which is he's got to get some things checked out tomorrow, and then I'll get a phone call if he's okay. I think that that, like, that would make sense, mm-hmm. that they're going to go check him out. And I'm not breaking any news or telling, trying to scare anybody. Sometimes when you check stuff out, there's a thing there. Yeah. So assuming he's going to get checked out, and we would have figured that, figured that anyway – you know, I mean, who knows what would what's the inside of his knees going to show? But everybody at the moment is absolutely assuming that JT Barrett is fine. Most importantly, that's what JT Barrett's assuming. If JT Barrett is healthy, he's starting. So, sure. yes, like it's not a decision. This is sort of going back to what we said with Urban Meyer earlier in the year. At some point, it's not worth talking about because it's not going to happen. But we'll allow bracket creep this one question. What really would be a better formula for Ohio State beating Wisconsin next week? And I think Bill made a point today, and we're going to write and talk about this. Maybe some of us were blowing off Wisconsin's chances after watching this game against Michigan, after watching what Wisconsin has done lately, um, after watching Ohio State lose to Iowa and then Wisconsin handle Iowa. 
you have to think, obviously, Wisconsin certainly has a chance to beat Ohio State. What would give Ohio State the best chance, Dwayne Haskins or JT Barrett? Tim, you answer first. I'm very conflicted. I want to think more about my answer. I'm actually not as conflicted. I think JT Barrett right now, because I think in a big game like this, you need to have experience, and you need to have... The Cardell Jones thing, I think, is an anomaly in some ways. Because he just stepped in and just went crazy for three seconds. Cardell Jones's whole life is an anomaly. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. He was here today, like, goofing around and hanging out with the quarterbacks before the game. I'm not sure he's real. <laughs> I think he might be, like, a character. Like, they brought him in. Like, he's a version of Brutus Buckeye because his story is too unbelievable. Yeah. I if, should write a Cardell Jones book. If you put that in a Hollywood movie, no one would believe you. They'd say it was the dumbest movie ever. So, like... Yeah, on some level, it's like, well, I mean, I guess if, like, the idea of, like, well, if Cardell Jones do it, I, Cardell Jones did it, I guess someone else could do it. It's like, that's not true. Yeah. The fact that Cardell Jones did it remains un-freaking-believable. So, continue. Well, what I was saying about JT, and I, I talked about this with Hayden Grove on our Facebook Live after the game. I talked about how there's a couple think, factors that go into Saturday's game that make it a little different than the last time JT Barrett faced Wisconsin. Number one, it's not in Camp Randall, and that is a huge advantage for Ohio State, the fact that it's a neutral site game. And number two, and probably just as important, it's going to be indoors. This game, it was windy on the field. Nope, JT won't make excuses for it, but we were down the field after the game. The winds were whipping up pretty good throughout the game. Uh, and JT is a guy who maybe just the way he plays thrives when there's no elements, when there's no wind, when it's comfortable, air-conditioned or heated, depending on what, depending on how you feel about that stuff. If he's in a good environment, that's where he thrives best. And I think, you know, after a week of, you know, the past game struggling, they'll try and, they'll try and go back to more of the crossing route things that have been working in the past, different, different variations of bubble screens. Maybe they'll try and hit that deep shot like they have been. I think they'll get it figured out, and I think the multidimensional ability of JT Barrett is why I think right now he would be a better option than Dwayne Haskins. Not saying Haskins couldn't win if he had to play, but I think right now Barrett's the better option. I'll let you think for another minute, Landis. I think JT's a better option, but barely, and part of it is guilt. (laughs) (laughs) I tweeted tweeted this previous week, um, JT Barrett's going to get to play in the Big Ten Championship for the first time. And then, like, somebody tweeted back at me. It was like, yeah, well, we're not – it didn't happen yet. And I was like, oh, my God. And I deleted the tweet. <laughs> and I was like, I apologize for perhaps jinxing JT Barrett of, like – and then it's like I, I did it. I, like, if he was really hurt, it would be my fault. So, like, it's very difficult to sit here and say, like, well, you know, the greatest quarterback in program history. I mean, again, which is the whole thing of the whole year. He's the greatest pro- He's the greatest quarterback in... It's like the tease. It's the trailer. He's the greatest quarterback in program history. But he might not be the best quarterback on his own team. He's <laughs> JT Barrett. Like, that's where we are. And we're there again. They just beat Michigan. They're in the playoff hunt, and we're still there. How could we still be there? But guess what? We are still there. And now give your answer, Landis. So you I- hater! <laughs> no, no, no. I'm conflicted because I, I wrote after the Penn State game that I think JT Barrett like crossed the threshold into being a playoff caliber quarterback, however you want to define that. I just defined that as a guy who is good enough to win you a big game. Um, and it was kind of silly. like He had won big games, obviously, in his career, but that was like, put it on JT's back, watch him throw it, and beat a really good Penn State team. Um, and now, 
I, I think I still feel that way. I think I still feel that way. I don't want to back off on that. I, I wrote it, and, and I think I should stick to it because I, I truly believed it when I wrote it. Um, I do agree with Tim that the dual threat is important. I, I think you really need to be able to throw the ball to win a championship. <coughs> that was proven by Ohio State in 2014. It was proven by Clemson last year. Um, maybe it wasn't proven by Alabama the year before that. But I think in general you need to be able to throw the ball, and I, I still... My, my confidence is wavering in JT Barrett's ability to throw the ball in a way that gets you a championship. And part of it is, I think Wisconsin is much better than I. Uh, well, Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin is better now than I did when I woke up this morning because that Wisconsin team made this Michigan team look very pedestrian, um, and has made other teams look very pedestrian. Not in, not in flashy ways, but they get it done. I think they have a very good defense, a better defense than they had last year. Um, and I think they can do a lot of the things that Michigan did today that gave Ohio State some trouble offensively or defensively. So JT is better, but I am not confident in that I am more on the Dwayne Haskins hype train than I have ever been. I didn't think JT should have been benched after Oklahoma. I don't think he should be benched now. It would be great for Ohio State if it was just a clean, he's healthy, he's playing, he's injured, he's not. Um... I think we're going to go into a Big Ten championship game where JT Barrett starts and is healthy, whatever that means, and then doesn't really look great. People are going to be calling for a quarterback change in the Big Ten championship. I had a thing I wanted to get to for the next question, and now I can't find it, and then I was just going to say, well, we'll just answer it anyway, and now I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Um, We'll get to some playoff talk, but I don't want to get to playoff talk quite yet. Oh, here's what the question was. I can't find who asked it. Somebody asked it. It might have been on a different thread. If Brandon Peters had played for Michigan today, would Michigan have won? And by Brandon Peters, I mean a human quarterback who can make throws. <laughs> yeah. John O'Corn was 17 of 32 for 195 yards. This is a crazy thing, too. I don't know. Ohio State threw the ball 15 times. Michigan threw the ball 32 times. And I know they were behind. Why do they throw it so much? Well, Michigan only gained 2.8 yards a carry compared to 4.7. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it adds up a little bit. Evans averaged, Chris Evans averaged 6.1 and Karan Higdon averaged 5. A lot of their bad rush oh, yardage is sacks. And it's o- sacks of O'Corn and, and bad rushing yardage for him. Their top two tailbacks, and I, I think I compared Evans and Higdon this week to Weber and Dobbins. I think they're a, they're a poor man's version of that. They're, they're not as good, but they're pretty good. 20, good. 22 carries, 122 yards. Solid. They, they made some small runs in the big runs. They popped a few things. They weren't getting dragged down in the backfield. They only had one carry that went for negative yardage between the 22 carries they had. I thought you could have been in a situation. I mean, again, Ohio State knows O'Corn stinks, and Michigan knows O'Corn stinks. So they're obviously going to try to run it, and you've got to do something to get them to back off. But why? Looking at that, looking at Ohio State with 15 passes and 48 runs and Michigan with 32 passes and 36 runs, just, I I don't know. It makes me wonder why Michigan threw it so much. But if Brandon Peters had played and he'd flashed a little bit, he's the same class as Dwayne Haskins. I think they were ranked similarly in recruiting. If Brandon Peters plays, does Michigan win? Yes, I think so. I think he would have. So uh, O'Corn had a really bad miss on the first drive um, that I think you know might have might have gone for a touchdown. He had a really bad miss on the second drive. He ended up scoring anyway. 
Um, but I think more about the throws in the fourth quarter. Um, the wide open miss to Chris Evans in the middle of the field, nobody covered him, and then the interception at the end was awful. I said this in the video we shot after the game. I don't know what the hell he was looking at. Um, I think just, I just think it's a simple fact that Brandon Peters makes those throws, and if you if you especially the one eighty three Gentry was coming across the middle wide open on that last interception that sealed the win for Ohio State. If he catches that, I don't I'm not so sure that's not a catch and run touchdown. And I think Peters puts that ball on the money and Michigan wins. I actually talked we actually I was actually at Jim Harbaugh's press conference. He talked about how that was just a mystery from O'Corn and the receiver is trying to go to Kakola Crawford ran an option route depending on the coverage and he I think was it he, Crawford eighty three is that who he Crawford was number one. Oh, he probably he, he had Gentry open, but I think he was looking to Crawford because I think he said if there was single high coverage, he was going to run a post, and he missed by the coverage because it looked like he was throwing a post. And if it wasn't, if it was covered two or something else, I um I could be I could have these mixed up. But, it doesn't matter. But the point is, he read the wrong option, and Jordan Fuller essentially had a punt return that kind of ended the game. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, I think maybe I think very possibly they win too, and and I, I didn't really watch a ton of Brandon Peters, but like he's the guy, and, and I wrote a story this week about how Harbaugh just needs Harbaugh needs to find his quarterback, and needs mm-hmm. to find his JT Barrett or his Tim Tebow or his Andrew Luck, and they haven't found it yet. It might be Peters, it might be Dylan McCaffrey, who's a true freshman who's redshirting this year, um, but it's certainly not John O'Corn. <laughs> so. I don't know why Harbaugh messed around as much as he did with two older guys and maybe didn't put in Peters earlier. They have a lot of young guys. They lost a lot of guys from last year. It seems like you could have gone to the young guy and, and given him more of a shot earlier in the year. Um, I wish Brandon Peters had played in this game. I mean, it's just always better for everybody when your best players play. Um, but I think O'Corn was terrible. I mean, like people were sort of joking around afterwards. Some people were asking, like, is that the worst quarterback Ohio State's ever played? <laughs> It's like, well, I don't know. I said, I've seen Purdue quarterbacks before, like, you know. But he was bad. Like, he was, he was, and like the fourth down throw they missed when they went for it on fourth and four from the 39, he had a guy, and he just overthrew him. Yeah. Like, there were just multiple examples of, of, I thought they did a pretty good job with the game plan, despite throwing it 32 times, of not making him make too many tough throws. Um, but he's just kind of, he's a non-functional quarterback, and he was non-functioning today. And he was non-functioning early. He missed at least three throws that could have been big plays in the first quarter, and they were still up 14-0 one play into the second quarter. So they were winning despite him early on because they had a good enough game plan around him, I think, if he played the minor one. Uh, Oh, Jordan Williams. (laughs) I just said I couldn't find the the questions right here. Two questions from Jordan Williams, Mr. Buckeye 03. I felt that had Michigan trotted out a halfway decent quarterback today, then they probably would have won that game. It felt like the coaches got out coached again, meaning the Ohio State coaches. So what are your thoughts on the title game next week, and then which holiday food has the best food? Which holiday has the best food? So that was Jordan Williams making that point. Did you guys think Ohio State's coaches got out coached for thought, at least a stretch? I thought the defensive coaches did. I thought they were doing a lot of the same stuff they did against Iowa, where you know there were some unbalanced formations and there were motions and guys were out of positions, linebackers in particular. I thought Jerome Baker, again, did not have a strong game especially in pass coverage um yeah this felt a lot this felt a lot like a lack of game plan a lack of preparation from greg shiano and, and bill davis and then you know the offensive game plan i, I thought could have been better as well um but i mostly i, I was i was kind of fixated on the, on the defense and and their lack of uh, my perceived lack of preparation on their part again it was interesting urban afterwards seemed to say like he thought the he thought the offensive game plan was pretty good he mentioned that ryan day has been working on the offensive game plan all year. Mm-hmm. Ryan Day has been studying. It's like Ryan Day got here. And he was like, hey, guys, what's going on? And they were like, study Michigan. Yeah. 
Which, and I didn't realize it until this week. Did you guys know that? Did you see the little, the little, little bit in my five reasons that Ryan Day and Michigan defensive coordinator Don Brown coached together for two years? Oh, at Boston College. At Boston College, yeah. Don Brown was the defensive coordinator for three years at Boston College. Two of those years, Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator. So it's like one of those things. Like, what does that mean? Who has the edge? They kind of know each other. Like, I thought it was possible. Like, Don Brown's going to dial up some stuff. But Urban was pretty happy with the game plan. He said he thought. Ryan Day called some good passes. He was happy with the run game, the production they got. He gave a lot of credit to the Michigan defense. Um, but I also felt like early on, it's like, okay, hey, Michigan's ahead 14-0. Why is Michigan ahead 14-0? Is it because Michigan has better players? No. <clears throat> so why is it? I thought they, Michigan scripted the game almost perfectly. You know, teams yeah. usually have their script to start the game. That You couldn't have script, had a better offensive script than they had. But once it seems like they went away from it, that's when the offense kind of fell apart. I, I wrote about it that 14 points in 15 minutes, 3 seconds, 6 the rest of the game. That's when the offense kind of went off script. They really they didn't really hit much outside of the 43-yard bubble tunnel screen thing to play to Kakoa Crawford to help set up another touchdown. I think once they got off that script, Ohio State settled in, and I think they kind of, they figured out what was going on. They got to John O'Corn better, and I think it, offensively, you know, when it comes to what they're able to do as far as calling the game plan, the game plan does not involve having negative plays on first downs. And in the in the first quarter, every single first down was a negative play. And for a team that ran the ball as much as Ohio State did, getting behind the sticks. After first down is a recipe for disaster, and that's what happened in the first. Can I read these tweets from Nick Baumgartner? Yep. From the Detroit Free Press. Right? That's where he is now, right? Yep. Yes. He tweeted uh, three tweets in a row. He said, Jim Harbaugh, Pep Hamilton, Tim Drevno have Greg Schiano completely and totally confused at the moment. It's 14 nothing Michigan. Then he said, other than a few counter slash pin pull inside zone, I'm not sure a single play Michigan has run today is something we've seen on film. Or if we have, it's been something Michigan hasn't executed. Lots of brand new stuff happening right now. That was in regard, all in regards to Michigan's offense. Do teams save things for the big game? Michigan always does. Like if you would ask me that on Monday, I would have said, "Yeah, Michigan. Michigan does nothing but like break tendency when it plays Ohio State. Just that Ohio State doesn't do it." Yeah, I mean, in two thousand, yeah, two thousand thirteen, the worst Michigan offense in the history of football put up forty-one or whatever yeah. on, because they were a different team. Um, and then the offensive coordinator got fired. And it's like, why didn't you do... See, <laughs> I understand, like, saving stuff for Ohio State, but it's sort of like, why don't you build the whole plane out of the black box? All right, guys, we're going to run the good team plan this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, the long con. We're going <laughs> to suck. This is a huge... This whole thing, this whole, like, Ohio State winning 13 out of 14 is just like a long con <laughs> for, like, 2026 when it is going to hurt like hell when Michigan wins. <laughs> Ha-ha-ha! Ebronstein, who always has good questions, Eric Bronstein. Are we just going to have to accept the fact that the linebacker play is just not going to improve this year? Also, is this the worst tackling performance of the year? Uh, No and yes to your second question. I thought it was a very poor tackling performance. I thought we saw the linebackers play. I mean, last week was Illinois, so whatever. I thought the linebackers played really well against Michigan State. Michigan's offense is, is... kind of unique. They create a lot of different run gaps for you to defend. They do a lot of misdirection, probably even more than Wisconsin's going to do next week. Wisconsin will do some of that stuff. I do think the linebackers can be better. I, and I, I, don't, I don't know what the deal is with Jerome Baker. And I don't know if we'll get to talk to him and ask him. I don't even know how you would ask the question. Um, but he is not playing well. But I, like we saw it last year. 
Jerome Baker was really good last year. I think Chris Worley's been pretty good all this year. I think Tough Borland's the right guy in the middle. So I have hope that the linebackers can get better. But, yes, this was a bad tackling game. I, I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with Bill, especially the first qu- first quarter and a half of the game. Ohio State just missed so many tackles. I think at the Donovan Peoples-Jones punt return, he broke, what, what five, six tackles? Yeah. And the Chris Evans play that got Michigan to the two, that was three more missed tackles. He had a third down run, too, where he spun out of a – I think you said, Doug, it's like a run that Ohio, like an Ohio State H-back makes when they catch a ball on a swing pass. Yeah, like a guy's got to make a play in space. Like it's – he needs seven yards and he has tacklers hitting him at four or five yards. What are you going to do? Yeah. And he did it. Yeah, it's almost like it seemed that the Michigan guys just ran with a more more violence in the first part of the game that Ohio State wasn't ready for. But they they figured it out they adjusted to it. The tackling was much better as the game went on. I don't recall too many missed tackles outside of the first quarter and a half of the game. But I'm kind of agreeing with you. I think Baker's Baker's taking a step back this year. I think it's fair to say that he's not he hasn't been the playmaker that we kind of expected him to be. The other two thirds of linebackers are doing just fine, especially with Bortland moving in the starting lineup. I don't know. What was the thing you said? You, who said something about like Gene Smith went down on the field like to check on JT? Oh yeah, what? and someone said he's going down there to fire Bill Davis. Said, well, <laughs> Bill Davis is in the box, so he went down there for no reason. Um, Can I say my theory yeah. about Bill Davis? Yeah. <laughs> wild, wild speculation because Urban Meyer has an uncanny ability to get coaches he doesn't want out of here without actually firing them. And him and Chip Kelly are very close friends. And Bill Davis was Chip Kelly's off or defensive coordinator with the Philadelphia Eagles. Bill Davis, UCLA defensive coordinator. See you later, crappy linebackers coach. Now listen, I, uh, someone was angry with me. I got an email. Someone was angry about my what we say and what we write about Bill Davis. Mm-hmm. So I would just like us to be kinder to the grown-up adults making half a million dollars a year. And let's put the blame where it belongs, which is on the unpaid amateurs, yeah. the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Here's how that conversation went. Bring, bring, bring. Urban has an old dial phone yeah. in the house. Bring, yeah. bring, bring. Hello, this is Urban. Urban, it's Chip. Someone said they like it when I act stuff out. <laughs> hey, Chip, how's it going? Hey, listen, man, I'm, I can't decide between Florida and UCLA. What do you think I should do? Well, Chip, I could tell you the real deal about Florida, but you got to do me a favor. Okay, well, I don't know. Can't you just tell me the real deal about Florida first? Nope. You have to agree to the favor before I tell you. <laughs> Chip's like... Okay, fine. And it's like, okay, I'll tell you the real deal with Florida, but no matter where you go, you got to take Bill Davis. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a 70% chance that happened. Um, and Urban was like, yeah, there's no Chipotle yeah. in Gainesville. And Chip <laughs> Kelly was like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to L.A. Um, all right, let's, talk, let's do some playoff talk. I wrote a playoff story after Alabama lost, and uh, 400,000 people read it in the first five minutes. Um, you can go read that. It's about Alabama might screw up Ohio State's playoff hopes. Go find it on cleveland.com. Um, Bill, Billy Byler, who's at The Byler, had a question. That I think it's a good question, and it's sort of like worth like getting into. It's one of those like hum- like feature stories that you, reporters do after things like this. How many people are on the field and the sideline before a game? Is this a systematic problem or an unfortunate one-off with JT's injury? And like, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea, but like I'm sort of curious about that. Like, how how much is it policed? Who who gets the stuff? Is yeah. it TV people? Is it you know people filming documentary stuff? Each team has their own stuff they do with like filming stuff for hype videos. Is it just the TV networks? Like, there's we know. It's funny. I walked into the photography room after the news conference 
where the still photographers for the websites and uh, newspapers sit. And I like, was like looking around, and I was about to yell like, "Was it one of you?" And like the guy sitting by the door looked up, up looked up at me, and before I could say anything, said, "It wasn't one of us." Because <laughs> <laughs> JT said it was a guy in a gray like a gray shirt, yeah. and they all wear like gray vests, so it like is probably somebody associated with camera-ing. But we don't know who. But that's a good question, Billy. Like, I sort of want to find the answer to it. But, like, they're playing Wisconsin next week, and then there's playoff stuff, and so maybe we'll get to that in the offseason. And, and another thing to point out about this as well, Michigan also has Amazon following it for the entire season. So, now, I mean, like... It's Jeff Bezos. I mean, but, like, why would Amazon's guy be on Ohio State's sideline as, as JT Barrett? I mean, like, let's not put any names out there because we don't have any information. Right. I'm... I'm not saying anything about Amazon. I'm just saying that... that you just said Amazon's following no, Michigan. No, as far as just the fact that, that there, that's the reason why there would be more cameramen on the field than usual. Maybe Employed they, by Amazon. So who are you blaming? Nobody. Okay. There you go. All right. We're not going to put a name out because we don't know. And we have no idea. And, like, there's some... I mean, like, we, this is what... Like, JT acted it out. There's a video on our site. Go watch JT act it out. I would love someone to get to the bottom of it. Landis, can you do that? After the basketball game, can sure. you get to the bottom of this? Sure. Um, There's got to be video of it somewhere. Be yeah. Video of the guy who did it. Yeah, if you have video of it, um, send it. Also, I tweeted this. If it's you, if the person who bumped into JT Barrett is listening to Buckeye Talk, please contact us. Um, all right, let's talk about the playoff stuff. It's like people have questions. It's like I don't want to get into a ton of like what if this, what if that, what if this. I'd rather deal with like where we are. Um, okay, is Buck the Buck Guys Pod? Is that a competitor? Buck Guys Podcast? Out of here! We're not providing you with Buck Guys material. Pod. All right, we'll talk about Buck Guys Pod with your question. Maybe he's referencing. Maybe he just thinks of us as the Buck Guys. Maybe that's what he calls us. Oh, by the way, we were walking to interviews. Um, it's weird to like walk out to the concourse and I, like walk out of the stadium to get to interviews here at Michigan Stadium. And I was walking just about back inside the stadium, and someone stopped me and said, hey, can't wait to watch your videos, listen to the podcast, and then gave me a fist bump. How about that? I don't know what your name is, but if you're listening, what's up? Thanks, man. <laughs> um, is Alabama going to get the 2015 or 2016 Buckeye treatment? The resume would make me think 2015. So that question is, Alabama is a one-loss, non-champ, not playing in its conference title game. In 2015, Ohio State was a one-loss, non-champ, not playing in its title game, and they didn't get a sniff for the playoff. In 2016, they were a one-loss, non-champ, not playing in their conference title game, and they were number three, and they made the playoff. Is Alabama going to make the playoff? Um, I'd be careful what you say because people have been tweeting things at me about it, and I yell at them if I don't like what they say. I yell at people whose playoff takes I don't agree with, give your answer knowing that. I disagree with the comparison. First of all, Ohio State in 2015 had, like, no good wins. They had no, they played two ranked teams. One was Michigan State, one was Michigan. Michigan State beat them. Lose, beating Michigan didn't matter. Um, so Alabama's not that. I also don't think Alabama's 2016 Ohio State, because 2016 Ohio State beat Oklahoma and Wisconsin on the road beat a ranked Northwestern team and beat the number three team in the country in its last game before the playoff selection put them in the playoff committee put them in the playoff. Alabama's two best wins are against a Mississippi State team on the road that just lost to Ole Miss and might actually like be out of the rankings this week. And then they beat LSU and LSU stinks. They lost to Troy. Um, 
So Alabama does not have a good resume. I think they are not in the playoff. I think there are things that can happen to put them back in it, but at the moment, I don't think Alabama's in the playoff. I agree. I'm just looking at also the rankings and who team who they be in. They've been they've each been two teams who are top twenty, but like you said, Mississippi State's going to fall out after losing Ole Miss and LSU lost to Troy. Ohio State's beating a Penn State team that should be in the top, that's in the top ten, probably could be as high as number nine by the time this is all said and done. And they also blew out a Michigan State team that should be top fifteen when this mm-hmm. is all said and done. Th- those two teams are going to be ranked higher. But you're comparing you're comparing this Ohio State to. Um, Talk about whether or not Ohio State, Alabama is comparable to 2015 Ohio State or 2016 Ohio State, not 2017 Ohio State. Okay. Um, when I look, I, the reality I think is, is honestly, I know I'm, I know you guys accuse me of waffling. I think it's somewhere in the middle because, again, not having the conference championship is going to hurt Alabama. Not having the quality wins like Ohio State didn't have in 2015 hurts even worse because the two things the committee, one of the biggest things the committee talks about is do you win your conference? And another thing is quality wins. Bama doesn't have either one. Yeah. And Ohio State got away with it in 2016 because of who they beat. You mentioned Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Michigan. Three massive quality wins. Northwestern, which is four. And Nebraska. Nebraska was number nine when they beat them 62-3. to Yeah, that's five wins. Alabama only has two, and I think you can question the validity of both of them now. Okay. I have not – I've spent a lot of time comparing Alabama – to last year's Ohio State team, I have not spent a lot of time comparing Alabama to the 2015 Ohio State team. That is an interesting part of this question. Here's where I think it's relevant. It's relevant. The two. It's really a good point that this person who brought it up, Buckeyes, Buckeyes pot. Would you agree that the 2015 Ohio State team was one of the four best teams in the country? Yes. Yes. Would you agree that most people who watched college football would have agreed with that assessment? Yes. I believe so, yes. They didn't make the playoff. And they did. the reason they didn't make the playoff is not because they weren't one of the four best teams. It's because they didn't have a resume to back it up. And that, if, if you, if you, if you have said the phrase, but Bama's Bama... Anytime in the last week, set yourself on fire. Because, no, don't really do that. I don't want anyone to actually do that. Listen, Ohio State was the defending national champion with a talent-stacked team that would have 10 players drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. They were the best team in the country, or the second-best team. Everybody knew it. But their resume didn't show it. And they didn't make it because of resume. And if you're going to, but Bama's Bama me, but the Buckeyes are the Buckeyes. There was no better but the but, but the but is the but than that year. They're the defending national champions with everyone back. And everybody knew what they could be at their best. They didn't look like their best all year, much like Alabama. Alabama's not killing people, right? They didn't look their best all year. They didn't have a schedule that gave them opportunities to get good wins. And the game they couldn't lose, they lost. Alabama's schedule, you can't control your schedule. They thought Florida State would be good. Florida State isn't good. Florida State was better the night they lost to Bama than they've been any time since. But still, that team had a lot more holes than anybody thought. What they could control about their schedule, I mean, they, they scheduled Florida State, and then the rest they can't control. But they lost the game they couldn't lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here is the five, if you'd like to go to the 538 
college football playoff calculator. I put in the final things right before we came in here to show you how nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And this calculator, which is made up bullcrap, but it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to 538. I love it, but it doesn't still it doesn't mean anything. It's like they're examining past playoff committee behavior and strength of schedule and stuff, but it's like it's 13 people in a room who can do whatever they want. They're knocking on the door. Come in. If they're kicking people out, we're going to have to leave. If they're kicking people out, we're going to have to leave and end this podcast. Um, in a scenario where the winners of the conference titles are Clemson, Oklahoma, and Auburn. Okay? Mm-hmm. They have Ohio State with a 49% chance to get in, Bama 43 into mm. the fourth spot. In a scenario where the conference champs are Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia, they have Bama 51, Ohio State 47, which actually doesn't make sense to me because, like, in your head you would think if Auburn's the champ, that makes Alabama look better, so that should increase Alabama's chances. If Georgia's the champ, then Alabama lost yeah, to a team. That, but that's what the calculator says, and the made-up calculator based on not much, except it's fun, doesn't lie. Yeah, yeah you and I were having the what? same... Miami, Oklahoma, Auburn as the champions. Ohio State 61, Bama 54. Because they're like not even, they have some other stuff there. Miami, Oklahoma, Georgia, Bama 59, Ohio State 58. So those four scenarios, which are the four most likely scenarios, if TCU beats Oklahoma, they both might get in, but like there's only so many what ifs you can do. Those are the four most likely scenarios. Two of them favor Alabama, two of them favor Ohio State. None of them has a greater than a 7% chance difference, which means nobody has any idea what's going to happen. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, you and me were having the same conversation before we started the Buckeye Talk thing, and talking about Alabama, it's dep- it's going to be all about how the committee views Alabama in a vacuum, a one-year vacuum. And like you said, they viewed Ohio State in 2015 in that vacuum. They viewed it as a completely different team from 2014. That's why they were left out, even though they were one of the four most talented teams that year. It's going to be about the vacuum and, I mean, I honestly think Miami losing yesterday had more to help Ohio State than anything that was going to happen in the Iron Bowl because that eliminates the ACC possibly getting two teams in. But what's most important for Ohio State, they can have the last word on Saturday night because they're the last big team that will play on Saturday night. They can make the last statement, and I think there's something to be said about that. Ohio State's worst-case scenario is, an Al- is a one-loss Alabama non-champ. Mm-hmm. And this is a little better. Like, Alabama's case is stronger with an Auburn win. If they had beaten Auburn, then lost in the SEC title game, Auburn's their best win. It's yeah. not even close. Mm-hmm. So this is better for Ohio State from that standpoint. The absolute worst thing for Ohio State would have been for Alabama to go to the SEC championship, look good, lose to Georgia close, and then you could have said, well, they're definitely one of the best four. Forget the other stuff. They're one of the best four. So this is a little better, but the worst thing for Ohio State is a one-loss non-champ Alabama. You have no idea what's going to happen. That's our playoff talk. That's the, that's the end of the playoff talk. Like, we can do a million other things. The end result is you can make a case for Bama. You can make a case for Ohio State. You don't know what the committee's going to do. How Ohio State plays against Wisconsin certainly will matter. And if your answer is, well, what's the point of talking about it? They have to beat Wisconsin. Then again, set your phone on fire because you should not be listening to this part of the podcast. Last question, then we're done. Bryce Owen again at B-Rice 2017. Considering the way Ohio State defended the pro-style offense today, how worried should the Buckeyes be for Wisconsin? 
I'm worried about guys getting in space open like they were today, and Alex Hornerbrook, who I don't think is that good, being just good enough to make a throw or two and beat you. Because guess what he's definitely better than? John O'Corn. No, I actually don't think, like, I don't... What? I, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not gonna You're going to say maybe not that much better? Yeah, but I guess he is. No, he's O'Korn's pretty better. O'Korn's pretty bad. Yeah. Hornerbrook's got a noodle arm, man, but he plays really well in the second half. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how... I think... I'm not as concerned because it's what Bill said. Michigan broke every tendency in the first half. They completely went away from things that they have done in the past. They pretty much had an entirely brand new game plan. But when they went back to they when they went off script, their offense went nowhere. I think Ohio State the the best case for them is if they can somehow make Wisconsin one dimensional, control Jonathan Taylor, who I wrote about a while <laughs> ago, contending with J.K. Dobbins for Big Ten Freshman of the Year. If they can contain him and make Alex Hornibrook beat them, you love Ohio State's chance as, as long as they can find a way to control Troy Fumagalli. And I feel like Denzel Ward will be on him a lot more than we've seen him be on tight ends all season. I mean, they're not going to completely shut. I mean, they're not going to. Wisconsin's going to run. They're not going to stop Melvin Gordon. I think that was also an anomaly. That was just Cardale Jones fueling that. I feel like that Wisconsin team was more of a fraud than this team is. For sure. That Wisconsin team was a fraud. Like, like is Wisconsin might get mad when people say that you're a fraud. The West sucks. Like, I'm sorry we live in that world. Maybe, like, Mike Riley getting fired will help that. Brett yeah. Bielema. Scott Frost. Scott Frost, actually. I hope that happens. Yeah. Um, but, like, you can't, I mean, you can't get around that. Wisconsin hasn't played anybody, and I think if, Ohio, if Wisconsin had played a different schedule, they'd have a loss or two. I mean, that's just <coughs> whatever. Um, Alabama lost. It's like, oh, who's the last undefeated? Wisconsin. Well, I guess Wisconsin must be the best team in the country. Right? Well, no. No. They didn't play anybody. Central Florida's undefeated. So, um, I think it will be tough. Ohio State has better players. But I think the biggest problem for Ohio State is not is a, I guess, a goofball game plan where they get outcoached. Yeah, and I don't think the one thing that has been true for Ohio State is they have not been outcoached in back-to-back games. So if they got exposed again against Michigan, maybe you can have a little faith that they would get it corrected against Wisconsin. And I know that, and Tim made a good point, that game last year at Camp Randall, that's a whole different situation. Yeah. But Ohio State had to go to overtime to win that game, and that was freshman noodle arm, Hornerbrook. <laughs> so at least now he's sophomore noodle arm, Hornerbrook. Noodle's been cooked a little longer, yeah. <laughs> uh, dente. Would you say, Alex, that your noodle's been cooked? <laughs> um Bill's going to ask that question on the conference call. Tim may right. ask that question. So that's Buckeye Talk. We will come back uh, with the midweek Buckeye Talk, getting ready for the Big Ten Championship game, Wisconsin versus Ohio State. We'll be over there next Friday for uh, day, day before news conferences with Paul Christ and Urban Meyer. Um, coverage coming all week. We'll be wrapping up this game, uh, previewing what's next. Thanks to you guys for sticking with us. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to Buckeye Talk on iTunes and wherever else they have podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Bill Landis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Lee Maurice. Again, 31-20. I got the pick right because it was Ohio State minus 12. I got Ohio State score right. And I got Michigan score right. Wow, for real? We're all over it. So but so between the three of us, we got this score absolutely between perfectly. Three of us, we nailed it. <laughs> when it was 20, I said it would be 25-21. It was 24-20. I was feeling really good about that before that last touchdown. Um, all right. Thanks to you guys. For Tim Bielek, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>